Last week, as I started out, for those of you who are here, I had an opportunity to, uh, to brag about my granddaughter on her first birthday, and I never want to miss an opportunity uh, to brag on my grandkids. I guess I'm just like a, a, a grandpa, except I'm a new grandpa. Maybe that makes me even worse than other grandpa. I don't know, you know, but uh, anyway, I celebrated her first birthday last week, and today I don't want to talk about a first birthday. Today I want to talk about a 50th birthday. I want to talk about my family. I want to talk about our family. I want to talk about our family as United Methodists because this is our 50th birthday. Tomorrow is our 50th birthday on April the 23rd here in Dallas, Texas. Methodists came from all over the world. It's what we call a general conference when leaders gather from all over the world. And as they gathered from all over the world in 1968 here in Dallas, what was happening was that it was a, a uniting conference, a coming together. And in that coming together, there was the Methodist Church, which was the English expression of Methodism. There was the Evangelical United Brethren, which is the German expression of Methodism. And there's a third branch that came together in that union. And that was the central jurisdiction. That was the African American, African -American expression of Methodism that before 1968, was segregated in the life of the Methodist Church. And in 1968, there was this coming together of the Methodist Church, of the Evangelical United Brethren, and of the Central Jurisdiction, all three coming together. And in coming together, we formed the United Methodist Church. And in coming together in that union, what drove that, what drove that, was a question, how can we best make disciples? How can we best make disciples? How can we best serve the world with the love of Jesus Christ to transform lives? What drove that was a core sense of mission. Now, that's not the first time that the United Methodist Church has come together in a spirit of uniting. It happened 30 years before, before 1968. It happened in 1939. And in 1939, what happened was the Methodist Episcopal Church, which was the Methodist Church in the North, and the Methodist Episcopal Church South, which was the Methodist Church in the South, and the Methodist Protestant Church, they came together. And in that union, what was being overcome in that union was divisions that went all the way back to 1844 and all the way back to 1830, divisions that were over slavery and divisions that were over a shared power between lay and clergy within the life of the church. And what drove that union in 1939, what drove that union, how can we best make disciples? How can we best serve the world with the love of Christ to transform lives? A core sense of mission drove that union. And to me, it's beautiful when you kind of look back on this story. I know it's a little bit of history lesson here, but when you look back on the story of United Methodism, United Methodism in America began on Christmas Eve. I love thinking about that. You may not know this part of our story. It was in 1784, and in 1784, Methodist preachers gathered from the, from the Americas, which was at that point kind of the, the eastern seaboard. They came together in Baltimore at Lovely Lane Chapel, which is a 
beautiful name on Christmas Eve. And I always love to think, you know, on the evening that we celebrate that Jesus is born into the life of the world, the United Methodist, or not the United Methodist Church, the Methodist Church is, you know, born into the United States. I think what a great part of our story. And what drove that beginning was the sense of mission. How can we best make disciples? How can we best serve the world with the love of Christ to transform lives? You know, when you begin to look at our history and you look at our story as United Methodists, what you keep on coming back to in the unions and in the beginning is it all comes back to this core sense of mission. It all comes back to this point where you say the question, the primary question before us is how can we best make disciples? How can we best share the love of Christ with the life, in the life of the world to transform lives? How can we best do that? I want to tell you, friends, mission, when you look at that history, what you begin to realize is mission is critical. When I think about UMC, this morning what I'd like us to do is to kind of not only think about United Methodist Church, but what I'd like us to think of when we think of UMC is ultimately the mission is critical. Ultimately, the mission is critical. You see, the, the mission is the gift that God gives us. It's the gift that Christ gives us. It's Christ's parting gift. When you come to the scripture you begin and you read what happens in Matthew here, you, you realize this is at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. These are Jesus' last words to us. It's kind of like his last will and testament, you know? I mean, it's his parting gift to us. And any time you get into people's last words, it's like, you know, you want to pay attention to this because when it's their last words, it's like, you know, I won't say to save the best to last, but, you know, I mean, it is really important. And so you want to lean in and want to listen. And when Jesus comes to those last words, what he says to his disciples, what he says to his followers is go. And as he says go, what he does not say next is go and build big churches. He does not say go and raise budgets. He does not say go and ferret out every nugget of truth that you can find in the Bible. He does not say go and take every right stand that you need to take in terms of the issues that will be coming up before you in the witness that is yours as a church. It's not what he says. What he says is go and make disciples. You see, all those things that I tell you, I think a lot about all those things that I just said. I think about a lot about the building. I think a lot about the budget. I think a lot about, you know, kind of ferreting out and teaching the truth. I think a lot about where do we take our stands as people of faith. I think about all those things. But all those things, as we look at them within the context of Jesus' parting gift to us, all those things are secondary. They all find their place in what is primary. And what is primary? How do we serve the world with the love of God and Jesus Christ to transform lives? That is what is primary. I want to tell you, in that mission, that is where we find our unity as a church. One of the things that you and I all know is when you come to church and you walk down the halls of the church, 
you know, and you talk to people about what do they think about different things. There are as many opinions about whatever issue you're going to talk about as there are people. Uh, it's just kind of a, a wonderful and great thing. You go up to the Sunday school class and you talk of you bring up a particular subject or particular issue and, and everybody, you know, has a thought. Everybody is kind of like, well, I think about this, I think about this. And you begin to realize that our unity does not lie in agreement about all those issues. It just doesn't, doesn't lie in agreement. I think that's particularly important to remember where, particularly where we find ourselves as a United Methodist Church right now. Because right now, as the United Methodist Church, what we're doing is wrestling with the challenges coming before us in regards to homosexuality and what is the church's stance on homosexuality. And that is a road that other denominations have walked before us. That is a road that we are currently walking as a denomination. And so I'd ask for your prayers as we walk down that road because it's been a difficult road for us as United Methodists. I won't, you know. Yeah, those of you who know kind of what's gone on in the past couple of years in 2016 when the general conference met which is all the leaders in the church when both lay and clergy when there was that meeting you know the church just about split in half in 2016 we came to a place where we realized that there were such deep divisions and people looked in, into that chasm and said you know what this is, we, this is not the step we want to take at this time but they realized that this was the reality of where the denomination found itself and so what the denomination decided to do was refer it to the, to the bishops and the bishops you know uh, put it to a study committee if you're a Methodist you know that's how we solve everything we put it to a study committee that's just part of uh, how it works and so they decided to a study committee and the bishops have been studying this uh, for the, about the last two or three years and the bishops are going to be coming out with a proposal in July. And the reason I'm sharing this with you now is because when the proposal comes out in July, I don't want, you know, if anything kind of comes forward in the newspaper, you never know what the newspapers are going to say about whatever. I don't, I've never heard of that before. Uh, you heard it here, no. <laughs> you, know, you heard it, you know, so, you know anyway. Uh, but what will happen is when the bishops come forward and bring the proposal, I want to tell you that's not going to be the last word in terms of the church's stance. Because what happens is then that is taken forward and it's going to be discussed and it's going to be debated and it's going to be amended. And, and the final word in terms of the church's stance for where we find ourselves now is going to be made at the general conference in February of 2019. And that's when the church will take its stance for where we find ourselves now. And as the church goes down that road... I can guarantee you that wherever we come out, and kind of at the end of the, in the stance, uh, is that, uh, and I kind of joked about this with the first service, but I will with you, you know, there's going to be a lot of unhappy people, you know. <laughs> I mean, what's going to happen is it's going to come out and there's going to be a stance and it was gonna, then there's going to be as many opinions as there are people. And, and that's just the way it is in the life of the church. And we know that when that happens, we know that our unity does not lie in our agreement. We know that when we find ourselves in that place, that our unity lies in our mission, in our core mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Our unity lies, how can we best serve our world with the love of Christ to transform lives and my prayer, and I ask for your prayers, is that whatever stance the church takes, it is to move forward into that mission. See, what happens is ultimately, 
The mission is critical. That's where the unity lies. Ultimately, the mission is critical. Ultimately, the mission has an urgency to it. You may have read the study in 2015 put out by two economists from Princeton. And it was they, what they were studying was the rising mortality rates in the United States. And it is, it was, as there are rising mortality rates, also what's happening when that is there is a lessening of, of lifespan, you know, a shortening of lifespan. And so they are, you know, they're kind of uh, focusing in on that fact. That's a very unusual fact in a highly developed country to see mortality rates rising, lifespan falling, and they begin to focus in on that. And as they focused in on that, the catchphrase for the study may be the phrase that you've heard, and the catchphrase for the study was deaths of despair. They said that was, that's what was driving the downturn was deaths of despair. When I hear a phrase like that, I just listen up. And I bet you listen up too and you say, you know, what is that all about? And, and what the conclusion they came to was in the economic downturn back in 2007, 2008, there was such a loss of employment at that particular point in time that in, in that great loss, people struggled with that. People struggled hard with that. And in that struggle, they were never able to recapture that sense of well-being that they had before that. And so to compensate for that, they began to medicate. And they began to medicate with drugs and with alcohol in ways that it began to reflect into the society with diseases and overdoses and ultimately deaths. And it began to reflect in the society to the extent, and this is what grabs my attention, I bet you grabs your attention, that it skews the national numbers. I, I want to tell you, friends, to skew national numbers, you have to have a significant number of deaths of despair. And as a church, I hope that that makes us all sit up. Because I think, you know, what they were measuring is they are measuring mainstream America. They're not measuring the margins of America. But I bet you if you begin to look at the margins of America, you see even more deaths of despair. And I bet you if you begin to think, well, we're not going to look simply at when somebody passes away from despair, but we're going to look at how people in their lives just struggle and kind of inside they get empty and they die inside of despair. You know, you can still be breathing, but inside you can be lost and empty. I bet you when you start measuring those numbers, instead of tens of thousands, which you start looking at as hundreds of thousands. I think that's something that we as Christians, we kind of sit up when we hear that. And as we sit up when we hear that, I, I, I want to share with you as one of the papers I read in regards to this particular study said, well, here's the two solutions that people need. People need social networking, and they weren't talking about Facebook and Twitter. What they were talking about is real friends. People need real friends, people they can come into contact with, hold their hands with, hug with, cry with, you know, laugh with, talk with. Real people with real friends. They need, people need to be in connection, social network, and people need a sense of purpose. They need to have a sense that, that their lives make a difference. They need to have a sense that we're involved in something bigger than ourselves. And to that, I'd add a third thing. I think people also need a sense of unconditional acceptance of who they are as human beings. I want to tell you, begin to look at those three things, unconditional acceptance of who we are as human beings, real friends, real purpose, 
What does that sound like to you? To me, what that sounds like is the church at its best. To me, what that sounds like is the church when we are the body, truly the body of Christ. What that sounds like is that when we come together, that what we want to offer to each other, and not only to each other, but to the world that so needs is, is real, true friendship, real, true purpose, real, true sense of how people are accepted. We all are accepted as human beings in the grace and the love of God in Jesus Christ. I tell you, what we find in those numbers, as I look at those numbers, as I look at that study, you know, could it be that what is happening is that the culture, the society is dying for what the church has to give? Could it be that there is a correlation between church attendance dropping and mortality rates rising? I mean, is that a possibility? Could it be that in the cries of the people, we as the church hear the call of God? That we as the church in the cries of the people hear the call of God. What can we best do to serve the world with the love of God and Jesus Christ to transform their lives? Ultimately, mission is critical. UMC. tell you, and in our mission is our identity. When Jesus gave the words in the scripture today, it's, it's not simply kind of this generic kind of, hey, here's an invitation for everybody if you want to come or don't want to come. You know, that's, that's not what's being said here. I want you to take it very specifically. I want you to take it very personally. I want you to take it very uh, imperatively, that's not a word, but it, it, it comes as an explanation, exclamation point when he says go. That is not a if you want to or don't want to. This is called the Great Commission. For those of, uh, for those of you, I haven't served in the military, but for those of you who have served in the military, you know that when you get a commission, what's happening is they're not asking you whether you want to go or not. <laughs> At least that's not the way I understand it. <laughs> You've been sent. Being sent. That's what the commission is about. We are being sent. The question I have for us this morning is as we are sent, as Jesus says, go make disciples, do you have a strategy? Do you have a personal strategy in terms of how you're going to live into that? And if you're here this morning, you start scratching. If you have one, that's great. Let me give you two thumbs up. I think that's excellent. I mean, if you don't have one, hey, I've got one for you. Preachers are always glad to help you out. You know, we have a solution. We've got a solution for you. And here it is. And you can put it on your coffee cup. You can wear it on your T-shirt. It's, a, it's a, a phrase that we use around here at Spring Valley. And this is the phrase. What we do together is we share love. And we shape lives. That's the strategy. It's that simple. Share loves and shape lives. And here's the way you can begin to integrate that strategy into how your daily life works. What you begin to do is you begin to think, okay, what I want to do is I want to share love. And I want to share the love not simply because I've got a love for the person, people, but because Jesus has that love for them. God has that love for them. That's the motivating uh, gift that we share is God's love for them in Christ. And then what we do is you pick out a person that you have in your, in your circle of friends, your family, your, 
your neighborhood, your co-workers. You know, you say, golly, this is the person. I kind of think about that person. God is calling me to love that person. You've got to get a sense in your heart. Just think about them and you kind of pray about them a little bit. You get a sense of, okay, you know, uh, I'm supposed to kind of love, share Christ's love with this person. And the way we share love is either through what we say and how we say it or what we do and how we do it. It doesn't have to be big. It can be really small. But, you know, you begin to say, okay, I'm going to do that with this person. And then you look at your week and you, can, you kind of pick out a time. You know, I mean, you get specific with yourself. You know, you say, this is what I want to do. This is kind of when I want to do it. And, uh, and I'm going to go for it. You know? And what I'd invite you, you know, start easy. You know, pick an easy thing to do with an easy person to do it with and pick it, do it once a week. And, you know, just start there. Because what we're, ha- what we're working on is the strategy moves into a style. It moves into a lifestyle. That's, what we're, that's where we're headed. Into a lifestyle. Well, what we do is we say, here's what I do as a person. I share love and I shape lives because that's what love does. It ultimately shapes lives. And so, you know, we do those little things. We just kind of build up and you grow into it. That's what they call growing in grace. And as we grow in grace, you know, there's times in growing in grace when you're thinking, is this really making a difference? Is me sharing this act of love with somebody really shaping your lives? Is it really helping them out? And when I kind of find myself at that place, maybe when you find yourself at that place, here's the, here's the story, the old illustration, but it's a wonderful illustration. I want to share it with you. There was a man walking down a beach. It was a summer morning, and the waves are washing up. He's barefoot on the sand, you know, kind of washing up between his toes, all that good stuff, you know. And as he's walking along the beach on this beautiful morning, he comes across a little girl. The little girl is surrounded by a bunch of starfish who are all there washed up on the beach. And as they're all washed up there on the beach, what she's doing is she's picking up the starfish and she's throwing them back into the, back into the sea. And she's one at a time, just picking up, throwing it back, picking up, throwing it back. And so she's doing it. And as she's doing that, the man comes up to her and says, well, what are you doing? She says, well, you know, what's happening here is that the sun's coming up and the tide is going out and the starfish are stranded on the beach. And as they're stranded on the beach, they're going to die. They're going to die. And so the guy looks at the little girl and says, you know what? This is hopeless. You can't save all these hundreds of starfish. You know, you can't do anything about all of these. The little girl doesn't say anything. She just pick, bends down, picks up a starfish, throws it down into the sea. She says, you know what? I made a difference for that one. See, you and I are not asked to save the world. That's what Jesus does. What you and I are asked to do is make a difference to that one. When you're asked to go make disciples, What Jesus is asking us to do is to go make a difference for that one. The one that Jesus lays on your heart. The one that Jesus has put in your life. The one that Jesus loves and invites you to love in his name. The one that we can do starting with the simplest of things or the most complicated of things, whatever you choose. But it's living into the strategy. And it's living into the call. And to knowing that as we do that, as we go forward in that mission, ultimately, that mission is not our mission. Ultimately, that is Jesus' mission. 
Ultimately, what we're being invited to do, what you and I are being invited to do, is being, having the privilege of being part of the purposes of God in the life of the world. We are invited to go with Christ to do that work. I love it. And the scripture does not say, Jesus does not say, I am for you always. That's not what Jesus says. We are not doing anything for Christ. We are doing everything with Christ. I am with you always. It is a co-mission. A co-mission. Where Jesus leads the way. Where we follow his disciples. Where we hear his commandment to go. And as we hear his commandment to go, we ask ourselves that question, how can I best make disciples? How can I best serve my friends, serve my family, serve my neighbors, serve my community? How can I best do that with the love of Jesus to transform their lives? And I want to tell you, friends, when you adopt that strategy and you adopt that style, it will not only transform their lives, it will transform your life. It will transform your life. Go and make disciples and know that I am with you always to the close of the age. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the ways that you call us to be your people, for the ways you call us into your purposes, for the ways that you place us in a world that so needs your love. And that you invite us to step forward knowing that we don't step forward alone, that we step forward together as a church. We step forward with you as our Lord. Jesus, give us that faith. Strengthen us with your spirit. And let us live in ways that will be a blessing to our world and a glory to you in and through your holy name we pray. Amen.